0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by UpMentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. On this episode, I had the pleasure of having two of my brothers from other mothers on the podcast, Jazz Rundawat and Jordan Krushchev. Jazz is the head of performance therapy and sports medicine at Altus in Phoenix, Arizona. This is Jazz's second appearance on the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. We previously had a great conversation back on episode 122. Jordan is a physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach based out of Action Sports Physio in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. On this episode, the three of us discussed the following topics. What research and areas of study the three of us were doing at the time that the podcast was recorded. We spoke about utilizing periodization strategies when applying different therapeutic inputs with athletes. We also spoke about the need to individualize and correctly dose performance therapy with athletes on a moment-to-moment basis, just like we would do when it comes to other aspects of athletic preparation. We touched on assessments and monitoring, and we discussed was there any big changes at Altus since myself and Jordan had interned there. This was a really great episode guys and I hope you really enjoyed. Okay, Jazz, Jordan, we're we're live gentlemen. Uh, so just for the listeners of the podcast, I have Jazz, Jazz give me your second name again so I always butcher that that's that last name, Rundawa, is that correct? Hey, there you go, buddy. You got it this time. Ah, I got it this time. And then Jordan, you're crew chef. Yeah. yeah, did it's a good accurate. job. Did a good job. Yeah, I'm not. Too, I'm, I'm actually proud that I got those pretty pretty spot on. But uh, just for listen, we got jazz. We got Jordan on the line here. Um, we were just setting up a, a Skype call, and we just said we recorded. Um, so guys, just for the listeners who might be too familiar with your background, by this stage, jazz, our first interview will be up, so people would, would have known yours. But maybe just give an intro again, and Jordan, also will fill in the guys of who you are as well. Yeah, so um, Dr. Jasmine Dadawa, the
1: Sport Medicine Lead here at Altus in Phoenix, uh, and also the Lead Performance Therapist for
2: our team out here. I'm uh, Jordan Khrushchev, I'm a physical therapist, physiotherapist up in Montreal, uh, and I work out of a gym called Core Excellence, where I work as a physiotherapist, uh, a lot of return to play, strength and conditioning. And so, just hanging out here in Phoenix.
0: For yeah, a few I was just days. I was just about to ask. So, just for the listeners, I, I interned with Jordan back in uh, January and February. Jordan, Jordan stayed on until about April, wasn't it? You were there for the for the uh, for the B two ten, and uh, he's back visiting jazz now for a few days. So, what what brought you back down, Jordan? Just you had a few days holidays, and wanted to tip back down. I
2: think that was in part it. Yeah, I haven't. Uh I haven't really taken any holiday, so I uh, decided to take some time off and uh, come hang out with Jazz, talk some shop, and um, also Marchin was here, who's a therapist up in Calgary, um, who was coming down to work with uh, uh, Kaylee Humphries. Um And uh, yeah, so I wanted to kind of catch up with him. I had met him a few years ago when I came for a PTP down here, and uh, yeah, awesome. so that was the main uh, incentive.
0: So with regards to the two of you guys, what's the big thing kind of going on right now in terms of work and then what kind of stuff are you studying and uh, in terms of education, what are you looking into? Jazz, yeah, I know I was uh, what's you the other day about this, uh, everyone seems to be raving about Chris Corfus and this uh, PRP that's going around at the moment and Douglas Heal and be activated. I mean, so you were kind of saying that you're kind of might look into that stuff as well. Jordan, is there anything that you've been looking into lately or so so I suppose the question is what are you guys looking into lately in terms of your con-ed and and education and your thinking processes? Uh, Yeah,
1: so we've been kind of um, messing around with some of that, uh, some of Douglas Hill stuff and just really trying to figure it out, uh, make sense of it from an approach that would be similar to where my philosophy, I, I suppose. Um, it can be kind of incorporated into what I've already believed, uh, or I'm um, challenging kind of what they're saying.
3: Yeah. It, it's unique
1: and interesting, I think, that you can go back and see some of uh Kipanji's work and some factual work and start to see, sorry, even osteopathy, um, some of the areas that they have talked about are, are very common. So if we took, um, say, a DNS approach, uh, they believe that the TL junction, so T12-L1 is an important area. They think the L5-S1 uh, slash S2 area is very important. So these zones of transitions of moving from you know, a thoracic spine to a lumbar spine where, from a biomechanical standpoint, I don't want to say this in an absolute term, but they're perhaps a little bit of a different function of a T T-spine and L-spine, although I'm not saying it's solely you know rotation. Yes, the T-spine has a lot more uh, global rotation than your lumbar spine, but segmentally it's almost similar. But the way that your facet and your bony architecture is set up, I do think that your lumbar spine and your T-spine do serve different roles, perhaps, but I'm not going to be an absolutist about that. Uh, regardless, if you take any athlete, the majority of people that we do see seem to have, uh, we'll, we'll call it a dysfunction, around that T-L junction, that T-12 to L-1, and it seems like those two segments don't know how to disassociate very well from everything else, um, and same can be said for L5 S1. If you look at, you know, majority of where say disc herniations are occurring, that L4 to S1 region is is usually the culprit. So there's there's definitely some type of mechanical um, load uh, that goes to those areas. It's just unique to see that, you know, Douglas Heels is is recognizing that. Uh, but there's a lot of other schools of, uh, that have the same process. So when you start to see the same thing from different people, it might be an important area to pay attention to. Yeah. so I mean, at this point, I'm not going to say that we're I'm fully on board with what they're doing because I just I truthfully don't understand the model I and mean,
3: not mm-hmm.
1: I have a lot more questions to ask, but I do think there's value in kind of where they're they're looking at, and it, even if it was to give you a different perspective on something that you think you already know. Right, so that would be definitely an area that I'm kind of looking into. Um, I'm also trying to work on this concept of hormesis right now and how that applies to uh, performance therapy. I think that you know it's been discussed from a strength conditioning standpoint, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if anyone's ever really touched on it from a performance therapy standpoint. So I think that there's definitely some interesting facts we can kind of uh, gain from that, um, especially when we talk about this concept of minimal effective dose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, in Jamaica for the Jamaican team trials, and I think that the big takeaway uh, from that trip for me was this concept of minimum effective dose, or as maybe as Charlie calls it, the uh, uh, total system load, reducing total system load. And to me, that's more important than you know working on I need to do this X, Y, and Z from the therapy standpoint for this athlete to make them you know ready to rock. Maybe there's you know some other factors that we need to uh, think about from both a cognitive or cerebral standpoint, rather than just this, you know, from a physical standpoint. And so minimum effective dose is something else I'm kind of looking into, and I think hormesis will be a a really interesting way of just kind of bringing things full circle. So that's kind of where I'm at right now, uh, in addition to obviously constantly learning uh, anatomy. We are fortunate to have uh, Mars up here this week, working with Kaylee Humphries, uh, and just watching him work is very unique. We had the opportunity to chat with him. And the one thing that I think I took away, well, there's multiple things we took away from that. But if I had to say the one thing that I didn't think of necessarily, and I think everyone should look at, um, he's, he's been uh,
3: super
1: fortunate to spend a lot of time with Mark Lindsay uh, in the anatomy, in the anatomy lab doing dissections. And so when he works on someone and he has these connections, these thoughts in his head, um, originally it was just a guess, but over time he starts bias and actually using some type of you know, objective-subjective measure to figure out if what he thinks is actually occurring. And when you sit down and talk to him about why he does certain things that he does, um, a lot of it comes back to, you know, I, I was in the anatomy lab and I saw this and had my hands on it. I was able to deconstruct it and this is kind of what I thought was going on. Um, and that's something that I never really necessarily took away from my own cadaver kind of experiences. So I think the the next big CE kind of thing for me will to get back into the lab and do some dissection and start to look at it just a little bit differently. So that's that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Just, just for the listeners, Jazz, who, who is Mars?
1: Uh, Mars is a ghost. You'll never find him. Um, <laughs> Marson is a uh, by-trade. He's a massage therapist, but um, – Definitely more than that, right? Um, he has really committed the, uh, his life to to learning, um, especially things about the human body. And so he, he made all the right moves in my mind. He spent a lot of time with Dan Path uh, through there. Uh, he got in, you know kind of contact with Mark Lindsay. Mark Lindsay kind of took him under his wing. From that standpoint, um, he's almost done everything uh, from a continuing education standpoint. Really, like from functional neurology to doing these cadaver dissections. Uh, spending time with even Philippon and, and being able to observe some of Philippon's um, hip surgeries and being able to mess around in, in that lab that they have up there and, and doing like practicing anchor sutures and so a very eclectic approach to things I, I think probably uh, one of the best manual therapists that I know uh, and just very very into his craft so um, for I guess for the listeners if you know who Mars is you will totally agree with what I'm saying um, and you know, for those of you who are, you know, try to search him out, you won't find him because he's not about. Uh, it's not about um, you know social media and getting his name out there. Um, it's almost akin to. I mean, we're here in Phoenix. And for those people who may know the name William Kramer, who was a very, very influential person on Patrick Ford's I was life. Just, I was just I he, he he, was, coming, he
0: was the guy coming to my mind there, William Kramer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it's uh, sometimes you need to uh, track these people down, but if you ever have opportunity, either of them, Willem Kramer or, or Mars, spend some time with them if you, if you can. Even just uh, grab a coffee and
0: talk to the shop. Okay, Jordan, the mic is over to you. <laughs> the, the, the invisible mic. Um, so, a few things.
2: Yeah. Um, I always tend to kind of have a lot of different things I'm looking at. Uh, one thing that I've been uh, listening to recently is uh, the secrets of sleep science on uh, the great courses, mm-hmm. which is something that kind of jazz set me up on when I was here from January to April. And then I was listening to your podcast with Pat Davidson and started talking about that. And then I just kind of stopped the podcast. I was like, hey, I really listened to that great course lecture. So I'm about one third of the way through because I have to review my anatomy every few minutes. Um, And on that other note, uh, I've been um, trying to look a lot at uh, also some dissection and uh, a lot of the fundamental stuff, so the physiology, exercise physiology, pathophysiology, uh, and also some neurology. um, I really have to brush brush up on a lot of these things. And um, I've been also working a little bit more with concussions at for since we... uh, uh, one part of our clinic is a neurocircuit clinic which
3: mm. deals with
2: concussions uh, and uh, that's something that I've been dwelling a bit more into and trying to see how that relates to other things I know and also how what we do with concussions with regards to vision training vestibular and what have you uh, is probably also relevant in the non-concussed population so i um, kind of interested in, in, in how those things fit together um I guess those are the main things that I've been looking into recently. Uh, also, we got a good chat the other day with uh, um, Adam Walker, who's here at Exos. Connor Ryan came up as well to chat. Oh, okay. great. DJ Cole was, uh, was there, and, and Jazz, of course. And we, we spoke about quite a few things, you know, about uh, um, around again, as Jazz was saying, all of that, you know, we, it's been turned biopsychosocial recently. Um, but really, how to take into account every part of that. You know, without being biased towards one side of the pendulum or the other and saying, well, how will all of these things matter? And ultimately, how can we help the person, uh, the athlete or whoever else is there? I think that always applies. So uh, trying to put things together, man, I haven't been into this for for long enough to be uh, specializing excessively. So just getting some fundamental knowledge in and, and getting better at that. What about you?
0: Uh, personally, at the moment, I am, well, I've got college work, so I have assignments to get done, but in terms of reading, I am uh, reading, Um, Jazz actually likes this book, the Strength and Condition in Biological um, Applications, the Cardinale, Robert Cardinale book, you like that one? I'll show it to you. This one, the biological part principles, part Biological Principles oh. and Practical Applications, that one there. And then I'm also reading uh, Sapiens. I'm almost finished Sapiens, which I'm really enjoying. I have to say, I uh I, I picked up Sapiens on my way back from England in the airport, and I picked up the first book and then Sapiens the second. So when I finish Sapiens one, I'll, I'll go into Sapiens two. So I have say it's a very good book, and not only is it giving like a good general history of Homo Sapiens and humans, but uh the guy who wrote it also I mean, he puts a lot of challenging sort our of thought process across in terms of some of our cultural cultural and Social beliefs. So I, I find that a really, really good book. So I'm looking forward to just to in finishing that. Just, uh, you, Jazz, you mentioned hormesis, and, and the reason why I found that a little bit uh, ironic was I was speaking with Joseph Johnson from Ultimate uh, Alley Concepts last weekend, and one of the questions. He's a, guy. Oh, he's a great guy. One of the questions uh, I brought up to him was this concept in Verkashansky's books, and uh, it was made Verkashansky, but I think someone else was saying it. I heard you also say it on Joel Smith's podcast, but I originally read this in Berkschansky's book about introducing a uh, a too intense or too advanced of a stimulus to an athlete too soon in their career. And then if you go and return to that stimulus later on, you don't get the full benefit from it if you'd wait it later. And he kind of, uh, or the two of us kind of hypothesized, it's nearly a bit like hormesis. We, we introduced a bit of this stimulus too soon. And so that when we reintroduced it, the athlete was almost inoculated to the benefit from it. So it was just funny the way, you know, and we started speaking with this minimum effective dose with our athletes in terms of, you know, people are introducing too too intense stimuli too soon, like they're trying to get too too sexy too quick. Yeah. And then it brought me back then to you as well, because when we did our last podcast, you, you know, you brought up this idea of different inputs in therapy and kind of the light bulb went off me that Jesus therapy is just like training in terms, you're going to accommodate the same, the same therapies over time. Like, I mean, the, the the response is going to be diminished return all the time. So. Is that what you're kind of looking yeah. at in terms of the hormesis effect that, you know, if we keep yeah, so <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely plays a, a part of it. Uh, in our conversation we had the other day, you was mentioning were with uh, Adam Welker and, and you know, Connor Ryan and EJ uh, and all us to have a little powwow. The one comment that I had made was I think that people in the therapy kind of world are now gravitating toward this idea of, like, you know, dynamic systems, um,
3: yeah.
1: motor learning. It, it, they're using it, like they're using the word, but I don't think they truly understand it. And if not, I gave the example of how we kind of set up our weekly quote-unquote micro here at Altives, where the first week is introduction, then we talk about stabilization, and then the third week will be exploration. And during that third week of exploration, where, you know, our coaching um, influences is greatly reduced yeah. allowing the athletes to explore... If they're not able to stabilize and truly understand a concept that we want, the next cycle, we don't move on. We go back to it. Sometimes you need to spend some time with a certain concept that they may not quite grasp, right? And I think that we as therapists need to start to understand this and do this as well. Uh, And I gave the example of you have someone come in and ultimately... Uh, some, I should well, say unfortunate, but people come in with some type of, you know, dysfunction, and there's usually pain involved. Pain is very, very you know, a complex thing, and I don't want to get into the pain science conversation, but you want the person to leave feeling a little bit better, right? So yes, you're going to have to deal with quote unquote pain, and that whatever input output that is, in and of itself is a horrible outcome. measure. Like if we were just basing everything off of pain, um, I don't think we're going to get people returning to function. Like I could just put you on a TENS machine for the rest of your life and you're probably, perhaps, you won't experience pain, but that doesn't mean that I'm actually solving any issues, right? And so alongside of that, I don't know if we're allowing time for our therapeutic input to stabilize. And if we even look at the simple kind of a test-retest, like you can't do a squat, I'm going to do an input and try to make you do a squat. And let's just say that, you know, after working on someone for an hour, you're able to, you know, get them to do the squat that you want. Will they then be able to do that squat for the rest of their life? Sure. Will it, you know, just be variable and transient? Was there a time to stabilize? Um, are we respecting that it's still a skill? Um, and if we don't, if we continue just to move on from a therapeutic standpoint, okay, now I want to do this, or and to continue to, you know, move through this, um, chain of things I want these criteria that need you to hit to get you back to wherever it may be. Um, I think you start then to introduce these new inputs that their system isn't ready to handle. So it's almost no different than what you know was saying. You're using the wrong input at the wrong time. And it, it, there, there needs to maybe be this
0: has a periodized approach and it definitely isn't linear. Yeah. But we need to start to
1: think of these things maybe a little bit more. And we don't necessarily if you have the time, the one shot, one kill, great, but does that mean that that needs to be the ultimate goal for everybody? And I, I just don't think it is, right? And I, I think that we need to spend a little bit more time uh, with our patients and stop getting into this world of sexy, I'm going to get you this, that, and that, and the other, and just do everything super, super quick and allow time for you know the adaptation to actually occur. For different people, it might be very, very quick. For others, it might take a little bit longer, great. But Uh, It's just that concept alone, I I think, is is an important one that maybe, uh, at least myself, I haven't grasped uh, and haven't incorporated into what I do from a therapy standpoint. So we start to really think about, deconstruct
2: our current thought process.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jordan, what's your input on that?
2: It's funny that you mentioned periodization of therapy. I had a few years ago I had left a, a voice memo on my phone I was I was in the car and I was thinking about stuff I was like huh it's actually maybe a thing right the same way as again from that input standpoint, basically exactly what you what you said and I never really completed my thought process on that I never really continued it um, personally like we were discussing with Adam yesterday and, and Adam is uh, uh, has has taken some of the PRI courses and we were discussing a little bit some of those concepts and uh, discussing position and reference centers, and, and he was saying, Well, do you think that we can just go in any position and just get these reference centers that they discuss um, in order to get the, the goal that we want? Is it just, are, are we just distracting? Or are we just creating a, a different input in the nervous system? And uh, if, if so, then is that change going to stick? Um, and I think that kind of comes to your point of stabilization. Personally, I think that I need to get better at. Assessing and that, I wouldn't say necessarily diagnosing per se, but that differential and that reasoning with regards to why is that occurring? So why is there tone in a certain area or why is emotion done improperly? Just quote unquote improperly. Uh, or why is there stiffness or what have you? Um, you know, if we're talking about something structural, then maybe we, we just can't expect that change to occur super quickly. Um, and we need to wait for things to stabilize before we go further in, especially if there's tissue lesion or pathology, uh, in some maybe more neurological cases, I think that it could occur faster. And I've seen it with a few people where very, very little inputs caused something that was really a big lack of motion and big apprehension, a lot of pain to reduce and not be present weeks later. Um... Which unfortunately doesn't happen often enough, but I think that those are, uh, I am not good enough at selecting those people. Um, I actually have uh, one of my colleagues up uh, in Montreal, Arthur Wisnowski, who is doing uh, his PhD uh, with regards to mainly uh, persistent pain, but he's looking at sensitivity to physical activity and he's trying to look at who are the people that would flare up. So basically, can, can we better? Predict or have a better idea if someone's going to have a flare-up or not. I think that's kind of a similar notion with regards to our inputs as, as therapists, whether it's an exercise, whether it's manual. If we're better able to figure out why is that the case, why is that present, then it's easier for us to know and, and accommodate and kind of periodize uh, that input and say, okay, well maybe we have to stick with this for longer, maybe we have to wrap things up, you know, or, or maybe we can do something a little bit more neurological. Uh, or a little bit more from that motor, stand, motor learning standpoint and have more of a persistent change. So I I don't know what the answer to that is, unfortunately, but that's kind of my thought on it, um, being able to better have an idea of, uh, of where the person's sitting.
0: Just on the the back of that, you just brought up another thought in my mind. I, I recently had Christian Thibodeau on the podcast and just some conversations from Pat Davidson. And Thibodeau is, has been very – lately he's been very big into neurotransmitter dominance in particular um, athletes. And so he's trying to profile athletes as certain dominance in their sort of uh, neurotransmitter production, you know, more dopamine versus more of a serotonin versus more of a adrenaline type. And it kind, of, it kind of got me thinking there just of like the different profiles you guys might see, um, whether you're in a core – at your – workplace core excellence or obviously in altars with you jazz does the sort of does the psychological and then the neurological sort of mapping that you have in your mind of a particular athlete how does that influence the therapeutic input you give that athlete on on, on a on a day-to-day basis because i know that's that's what we discussed before jazz uh, you're, yeah. maybe, uh you maybe you can discuss it as well with regards to the population you're seeing in your clinic um, but I I know that you know when it comes to the therapeutic input, uh, obviously getting some sort of map in your mind of what this person's like from a psychological perspective, and obviously their neurological efficiency. And just a little side story on that, Jazz. I don't know if you remember, but I remember one day we were treating. I won't say his name just because of the podcast. But we were treating a, uh, one of the athletes at Altus. I don't know if you remember if I don't say his name, you might remember who it was, but you do. It was it was one of the guys who I needed quite a lot, and I got on with very well. He's a great character, so I think we know who we're talking about uh, yeah, so uh, but I, I remember he had only just done a race that weekend and we were just doing some um East in with the dry needling, and like we put it we put the the input at an input that he would always have or like that that we would have very much expected wouldn't have got the response it did, but when we put it on, he got such a like a a hyperactivity. And um, afterwards, you were kind of saying, you know, maybe his nervous system's still on for the weekend. Like he's so neurologically still alert and up since the race. So that was a real, holy shit, like, you know, these elite athletes, they're, they're just, their nervous systems are just, like, completely different to, to what yeah. we would usually anticipate. But anyway, I'm rambling here. So the question is, with your inputs to your athletes, are you sort of uh, classifying your athletes in particular buckets in terms of, like, their neurological profile and their psychological profile?
1: Well, I think you, you kind of like end up doing that, but you may not be thinking it from like a neurotransmitter standpoint unless like yeah. you really understand your, your your buds or your your, your neuroanatomy. But it, it's almost like everything comes out to your autonomics, right? Like if you have an athlete who's presenting as super, super sympathetic, well, that probably means that he's having certain amounts of um, either serotonin or dopamine or how those systems are upregulated uh, affecting is autonomic pathways Mm. and causing a quote-unquote more of a sympathetic, aesthetic-dominant kind of response, right? That person's probably going to need a a different therapeutic input, at least from a recovery date, than someone who may be just the opposite of that, who maybe has, like, super low levels and it's, you know, quote-unquote parasympathetically dominant. Um, You almost think of, like, someone uh, in Addison's disease standpoint, like, very lethargic and just, you know, at the – at the very end of that spectrum of being parasympathetic to the point where it's a detriment to their body is basically being catabolic at that stage, right? So I think that it's easy to say that, yeah, if you have someone who's sympathetic, you're probably going to try to skew them the other way. And someone who's parasympathetic, you're probably going to try to skew them to more sympathetic. So your inputs and your, your pressures and all that definitely will change. Um, it's interesting that, um, you know, uh, Christian Chibita, who I have a lot of respect for, like, one of you know the, the strength coaches, changed um the way i thought about things like his black uh, black book black
0: black black uh i have it there the black where is it the black oh yeah the black book of train secrets
1: yeah i mean that that's a book that everyone should read regardless if you're a bodybuilder or not like even boyle recommended that book right so yeah. um it's interesting to see that he's diving down into that level um now as a as a caveat to all that um and this is just coming off, and this might be a bit of a tangent. It's just coming off a paper that I read recently on functional neurology. I think it's great that we're all trying to dive into that world, but we need to be careful with the information that's being presented for a few reasons. Um, one, if you're not a like, neurosurgeon, anything that's presented can be um, thought of as being factual. So mm-hmm. if I'm giving you all this anatomy and all, all this good information, the information itself is correct in the sense that, yes, you know, serotonin and dopamine exist. Yes, there is these pathways that they can follow. But if you're making inferences that on how they affect your body, there we have to be careful because we don't know the validity or the reliability of that statement. And so when we're looking at, say, uh, functional urology, it's very easy to do a bunch of tests saying, hey, I'm looking at this segment of your brain. And whether or not there's a quote-unquote lesion to that, that's why you're demonstrating you know, XYZ pattern of movement or dysfunction. The pathways are real. The the anatomy to describe how input goes to output and where things desiccate, that, this, that, and the other, is very, very real. But we don't know if the test that you're doing is valid or reliable. And it probably takes someone who's a neurosurgeon to really dive deep into that to figure that out. So we just need to be careful with that. We don't... You shouldn't just jump to conclusions. And I mean, if I may, I mean, I probably shouldn't mention this, but it's almost like—and this is what that paper had, had, had referenced. It's almost like the old-school chiropractic, where we thought everything is coming from your spine. It's a spinal lesion, right? You have knee pain; it's coming from your spine. Mm. Now, if you have knee pain, yeah, I can do, you know, a knee jerk reflex, and that's L4, without a doubt. The anatomy is there; that's L4. But if you, if you have knee pain, is it enough to say that, you know, at L4, you have something going on? Now, you may, but you may not at the same time. So I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket and be like, oh, this is a spinal problem, right? Um, then this is what kind of the neurology that we're seeing now reminds me of a little bit. It's like we're, we're so content in saying, yes, absolutely, this is what's wrong. Um, we have to respect the complexity in organic systems. It's, there's always going to be more than one thing that's kind of recurring. And our job, I guess as therapists is to educate ourselves enough to have a good understanding of what we think might be going on. and then you know be an artist, start exploring, ask questions, mm-hmm. figure out your own kind of what happened. So sorry, a little bit have
0: been tangent. No, no, it's good.
1: I think it's super, super interesting that, that people are, are definitely going down this route um, and they're looking for what I guess would, you know a few years ago, it'd be easy for us to say that the autonomics is a very micro level of thinking, right? Yeah. But it, can, it became popular in social media, and now that's almost like, yeah, everyone knows parasympathetic and you know, parasympathetic tone report. We know about HRD, uh, and now it's like taking the next step in, oh, well, neurotransmitters can affect this, right? Like, how is this going to affect you know, your, your vagus nerve on your right side, which is different than the one on your left side? And you can draw a lot of conclusions to it. So, um, just you know, be due diligent, know know your stuff, but uh, at the same time, just be very careful
2: with thinking in the absolutes, being too polarized by a specific topic. Yeah. Jordan? Yeah, I guess um, there are a few, few things you touched upon. I'll try to keep it succinct for people that probably that's hard, but um, I'm not very familiar with the neurotransmitter stuff. I know Polyquin does that type of thing as well. I have a few colleagues that discuss that. Uh, I haven't delved into it much. Um, with regards to what you were saying, with regards to complexity, um, Michael Wu is, uh, you know, Robbie, uh, he did a little, uh, he dwelt a lot into complexity theory, into the Kinevan framework, and into different, like, system, system thinking and things like that. And One thing that came out is that, right, the complex system has all of these interactions which makes it hard for us to predict what's going to come out at the end. Um, I think part of that, um, as we were discussing with Adam actually the other day, part of that maybe because we we don't know enough about the different systems in order to be able to see how these things would tie in mm. and to to have a better idea of predictability. But I think it's also impossible for one person to have all of that knowledge. So if we're talking about all of the bio, all of the cycle, all of the social, and again, I think this is just a nice way to frame it. and and stress and so on and so forth and unless you have all of these things it's really hard for us to sometimes predict what's going to happen Um, from a more concrete standpoint is your ankle sprain going to be just an ankle sprain and resolve really quickly or is it going to be a little bit more complicated and have a little bit of nerve involvement or is it going to go down the drain and develop complex regional pain syndrome which is an awful thing to treat. what differentiates the people in those three categories, there may be part of that that's the legion itself, but I think a lot of it are other factors that we can't really predict, we can't really know who's gonna develop that and who won't. So, what, one thing that Michael said, and that's kind of what stuck with me, we, I think we have to know all that complexity, all these things that interact, then put some boundaries so that we can actually act on that and not just you know, have paralysis by analysis and not do anything. But knowing that there are things outside, for me, the neurotransmitter thing, uh, as Dad as said, I think we tend to simplify neurology and then we forget there's more. I think, again, going back to lack of that fundamental knowledge of, of neurology and mm-hmm. neuroanatomy, at least in my case. Um, so with regards to your initial question, um, I tend to I, I try to educate also the people that I see, the athletes and the individuals that I treat uh, with regards to that emergence of pain or, you know, uh, motor control and all of these different things. So how all of these different systems in the body can have an impact. I think working with both persistent pain, but also with concussions really shows that because some people will have increased symptoms because of certain very non-mechanical or non-biological processes. Well, they are biological, but not, not biomechanical, let's say, um, that's kind of how I tend to approach my therapy and how I tend to individualize what I do both from a manual therapy standpoint or from exercise standpoint or from an education or just the way that I'll approach a person um, some people have a tendency to ruminate and we'll see this in athletes too some people tend to magnify right and if you look at for example catastrophization you know we you know that these people will have a um, it's not, it's not the best of things to overwhelm them with information or, or overwhelm them with maybe more of the negative stuff that we're finding. I think that's never a very good thing. Uh, but we have to tailor that. Some people will respond differently, and some people need to know more about the, the physiology, the mechanics, and the, the nitty-gritty stuff. And some people, we have to find very simplistic ways to explain. And I think the same will apply in everything else. The same as in training, right? You'll adapt your training day-to-day, and we've been seeing this uh, – From Stuart McMillan, who who trains, and the coaches here, who's fantastic at doing this. The same thing for Kevin Tyler. All of these guys are just amazing at seeing and reading their athletes and adjusting for that day. And I think that's sometimes harder when we're dealing with uh, people that we don't see every day, like in a regular clinical setting, for Mm -hmm. example. Uh, But the same thing has to apply. We need to create that or read the person, um, look at body language, look at how they speak, look at what they say, and, and how do you respond to what we tell them. And then adjust what we do so that it fits with with where they are, and we don't try to like jump the gun and try to you know to force them into where we want
0: them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great stuff, and I, I think it's it's funny because jazz is someone who kind of just initiated this light bulb in my head of that like when when and jazz you kind of say things. That are profound but you don't realize it that you're saying profound things you're kind of just talking your thoughts and then i'm kind of like holy shit i never thought about it that way but it it's similar like in even like with nutrition we, we were talking about periodization for therapy and like god like we think about it with training why don't we think about therapy But it's the same with nutrition i mean you can periodize your nutrition too and even actually how you absorb information you can periodize it too you know so it's just kind of take i think there's this universal underlying principle or these first laws is what some people call them that underpin a lot of things and, and bring them together um, but yeah, being able to step back at Jordan's very good point and kind of meet the person where they're at. It's it's the same in training, like you, you wouldn't take someone in who's never stepped inside a weight room before and then just fucking loaded them up to the max the very first day, uh, or did something ridiculous, you know, like so. It's nearly it's almost quite similar in therapy. Like why you take someone in and just you know everything, everything's a nail. All you have is a hammer, and then you're just going to hammer away with the same technique at the same intensity and the same volume output for every client. And, we all know you're going to get some people who respond, you'll get some people who won't respond, some people will get worse. And that's why we've often heard people going, oh, I went to such and such and I got better. Someone else said, oh, I went to that guy too and I, I felt way worse because, again, they were trying to jam people into our sort of way of seeing things in our reality rather than, you know, being able to step back and do a good differential diagnosis and, and then meet the person where they're at, given where they're on on that day. And not only meeting that person where they're at, but obviously, Jordan, as you said, they're going to be different every time they come into that clinic to you, you know, obviously we see it more day-to-day with athletes when we have them on training all the time, but when it's a clinic, you might only see them week to week, so you even need to be more sort of tuned into that, which is great stuff. Just off that, uh, getting into now, um, diagnosis or differential diagnosis and assessment was kind of mentioned a few times between the three of us, like, assessment's been such a huge thing, like, over the last 15, 20 years, you know, obviously with functional movement screen and... The physical company session for kelvin giles and then you know other systems present with their sort of assessment protocols obviously pri has some things and sf may then try to come out as a universal type of of system i remember speaking to jesse ellis who used to be the the head there of physical therapy at exos in, in arizona and he was a big maintenance guy so just in terms of assessment where are you guys at in, in terms of that in your own sort of thought processes and even with your treatment so when, when athletes and, client and patients are coming to present themselves, where are you going initially, or, or how is that looking?
1: I mean, yeah, for me, it's still movement. It's all real-time, right? Like, um, and, and I guess this is probably the difficult thing for, for most people to, I guess, comprehend. Uh, we watched the warm-up, and the warm-up is still my assessment. right? right. There's um, a lot of core movements and core um, biomotor abilities that need to be expressed during a warm-up that, we have now kind of um refined i guess and made it that here's some key areas that we need to be looking at on a day-to-day basis and if these key areas are moving we're going to be probably in a good position in addition to i mean yeah how the athlete's presenting you watch them walk from their car and if they're in a certain mood if they have a certain swagger with their walk it's very easy to figure out if something's going to be going on with that person right mm. um, in, in my environment I think it's also important to realize that I'm with these athletes for the whole year right so we our, the relationships that we develop are, are very unique and I'm not sure if it's easily to uh, sorry it's easy to replicate in the clinical setting where you may not spend as much time with these people like and again when I say we're together the whole year this is like eight hours a day six days a week right so you, you do form a very meaningful relationship with your athletes now, um, does our or or warm up incorporate a lot of the same ideas as say Mackenzie, um, S.F.M.A., F.M.S. like you name it? Uh, I think we do. I think a lot of them have uh, similar overlap. Uh, and, and again, where, where things start to overlap, where you see the same thing again and again and again, it's probably the key area to focus on, right? Now, there's always different ways to to get to the same solution, and maybe you need to use different um, Assessment techniques to figure out a certain athlete. Like, you know, going through our warm up, I might see, oh, the tibia doesn't look to be moving the way it normally does. Let's figure out what's going on. I could do an SFMA and break it out if I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you talk to people who use the SFMA, they're going to cheat the system because they know the system so well. So mm-hmm. they're not going to go through your top test necessarily. They might just go right to where they think the issue is and, you know, use that. Um, from a maintenance standpoint, same idea. You could probably just cheat the system and, like, i to look at these, these key areas, right? So um, ultimately, I, I think all these assessment systems have um, similarities in them. And I think it's almost more important to, to be able to recognize that versus just following or blindly following, hey, here's the protocol. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. Uh, and then if you're that type of person who, who just creates this checklist of things or this you know, checklist manifesto, you're going to be missing a lot, a lot of things. That, that's at least, what I think. So, again, from an assessment standpoint, I don't, I don't think much has changed, but things have changed. It, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like we're constantly kind of revamping how we do things. It's just that it happens in, in real time that we don't really go back and think, "Oh, we used to do it this way." Um, it's just always progressing and always moving on. But um, it's odd you, you mentioned the SFMA because it's something I'm kind of like diving back into again. I think from an orthopedic model, and it does a really good job (laughs) of breaking things down, right? So if if you're an an SFMA person, I would say imagine every test you do in the SFMA, but instead of being done on the table, done dynamically, that's kind of what our warm-up is. Those are some things you need to be looking for. Um, The only problem is there's so many things coming at you at one time, right? How do you then... As, uh, maybe as a new clinician or even someone who's been in it for a long time, what does what your eye go to? This is maybe where the, the art of therapy kind of comes into play. Right? Like you can't just be this necessarily this pure scientist uh, all the time and just try to break things down. Sometimes you just got to go off an instinct that, hey, I think this is what's going on. And by the way, it, it's okay to be wrong. Like that, That's how you learn. You learn a lot more from what doesn't work than what works. You fall into a confirmation bias. So you mentioned it before. You have these guys coming to the clinic, and they do the same thing again and again and again. again because it has confirmation bias. You've created a system. And as I had this latest blog post on why systems don't work, and he has a quote from John Keely, and I might just butcher this quote, but ultimately all systems are wrong, but you might gain something from it. You might gain a little piece of information. And that little nugget is what you continue to build on. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of my two cents, I guess. Uh, assessment at this point
3: for us at least.
2: You know, I think, um, uh, again, I obviously have a very different setting. Um, with regards to looking at movement, I think you're totally right. It, it, takes, it definitely takes a long time. And, and being here for a few months in the beginning of the year, um, I think that since that's all I have to do, I actually developed quite an eye with regards to looking at warm-up or even looking at someone run fast, even though it's a lot harder while they're actually going through the uh, the event itself um and i was actually surprised because i think one, one thing that people ask we often wonder here is what do you look for how do you develop that and for me it was like having a somewhat of an idea of what you're looking for from a technical model standpoint and then just like looking at the same people do it often mm. and then you just start to see these things and, and those practical patterns uh you start to see things start to see how people move and 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 I tend to be skeptic, I try to always uh, fall into that confirmation bias, I try to inform myself through my testing, so uh, I like to do some 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 table tests or some other tests, again, depends on the setting. If you do it here on the track, don't have the time for that. Uh, you have someone waiting on you, you have an athlete that's potentially cooling down, even though here it's pretty, pretty damn warm. Um, whereas if you go into a clinic, I think now we have a lot more time to do these things, the downside of that being that we don't know these people as well sometimes and we have to, um, we can't afford to to try as much, or at least that's how I feel in the clinic. Uh, whereas uh, here with, so you can do a small input, go back on, let's see how it's looking and come back. I, we can't do this uh, in a clinical standpoint. Um, testing-wise, to answer your question, I, I tend to, to focus a lot on movements, trying to look at what the issue is with the person. Uh, I, I do use DSFMA mainly, uh, the top tier, mainly the principles, I guess, behind the I don't break it out as much. And then I'll do, I just like steal stuff from people and from different areas. Uh, I'll do some PRI testing. I find that a very useful model. I stole a bunch of things from Mars uh, while we were discussing, so I'll start to use those. Um, and just depending on the area, do some orthopedic testing that are maybe more PT traditional stuff. Um, and just kind of run it from there depending on what the person has I think as you were saying the more the more tools we have on sometimes the more confused we get but I think also if you sit down and put things together and synthesize it also allows us to see things that we may have missed uh, if we didn't have that tool um, So, yeah and, and I think a lot of these things can apply in, in, uh, in athletic populations I've, I've used things that we use only in some types of persistent pains, but I, I've used that testing with people that came in for an ankle sprain or for a knee sprain or what have you. So uh, I think they all have their their place. Uh, it just depends on the setting.
0: Just a, a follow up question um, to obviously to the body is, but I suppose it's it's a bit more directed towards jazz. But I mean, you I mean you interned and you were at Altus longer than even Iowa, So I mean, your input is just as valid, but. I listen. Uh, watching the warm up, and then obviously your new you, you put it perfectly there. You know, you get this global technical model, but then within that, you're going to notice that individual veritability that every athlete brings to that technical model. You know that quote unquote bandwidth is, as as uh, Dan likes to, to say, and as Stu fucking hates that word. So he's like, but here, bandwidth again, I'm gonna fucking shoot someone. Uh, but because the athletes do the same warm up day after day. Do you think, though, like boredom then kind of is a variable that kind of affects the actual validity then of the warm up? So, like, you know, like, are you really seeing something that, that that's not right or is it just because they're bored?
1: Yeah, uh, I think two things. One, uh, are the athletes bored or are the coaches bored of watching it? Right? Like, we got to be careful of that um, because. We have multiple groups of athletes who may come at different times. So I might see the same warm up three times a day. So when we quickly judge, are the athletes getting bored of it or is it the coaches are getting bored of it? Right now, that goes for anything like uh, in a training sense. If you work with groups, like I'll tell you right now, I hate the hip hinge. Like I hate it for the passion.
3: I see it and I do it so many times. But that doesn't
1: necessarily mean that it's. Um, point right? Like it's a good exercise. But I'm very bored of it, so it'd be very easy for me to go. Nah, we're gonna
0: do something different. Um, I just gotta uh, put that sound uh, bite I'm just gonna theory. put that put that out as a sound bite and the whole kettlebell world will go nuts. I fucking hate the hippies. Uh,
1: <laughs> I hate the hippies. It's, it's useless. No, it's fantastic. I just do it so many times that I don't, buy, yeah, buy, I
3: don't I'm bored say
1: that. of it. <laughs> um, so that, that that that's the first thing we need to be uh to be aware of in our own little biases there, but. Do the athletes get uh, bored of the warm-up? I think some of them uh, are probably—I um, don't want to say necessarily bored of it—but yeah, they can go on autopilot, and that's when we need to kind of refocus what their, you know, their energy is and what their focus is for the day. And so it's not that I, I'd be worried about them, you know, being bored of the warm-up. It'd be more about if you're already bored at the beginning of the day. Where is your focus on today? Yeah. Is there something else that's going on, and something else has got your mind? Because it, it could also not be necessarily important. What if you know there's something from a, a social standpoint that's really affecting them that we don't know about, right? When certain athletes who are usually loud, and we know the loud ones who are you know high energy, when they come to training and they're quiet and they're almost removed from the social aspect there's of things, problem. I get really really worried. Yeah. Um, because I it's just. It's one of those things. I I know something is going on. Something's bothering you, right? So I mean, to that effect, there's a lot of information we can gain to uh, just from noting how how focused and how in depth they want to get with their warm up. The other thing is that our warm up does have uh, slight variations
3: to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we do
1: have a linear, not sorry, a linear day, but rather a Excel uh, versus upright day. Um, we'll change TAs. We'll change some things around. Uh, but ultimately it, it's a dress reversal for the day. And so, um, if they're not able to focus, if they're not able to go through the things we want, I think that's a good indication that we need to have perhaps some type of intervention, not saying it's an annual intervention, could be a real just be still having a chat with an athlete just to see kind of where they're at. That's we'll the make same. a call a day from there. Yeah. But yeah, I, can. I, I definitely see your point, right? It does become, uh monotonous sometimes, I suppose, uh, at least in
0: our own minds. And uh, you know, I know I get your point too, that I it can't be the coach, because uh, I've often said that too, like, uh, you know, I remember when, when I used to teach in the, the colleges, at the college that I used to teach at, like, we'd be talking about, like, if we're going through our core module, and I'm saying, like, guys, if, if I teach another plank, like, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. But you have to understand that, like, Mary, who's in front of you, and it's her second time ever in the gym, like, this is her first time ever being coached a plank exactly. properly in her life. So I appreciate that. But I guess I was more I was more directing that towards the athletes that you see like Ev, the ones who are there all the time every day. But uh the set the other point you brought up was I think once you have like, you know, that sort of two or three or maybe four different types of warm ups that still incorporate everything you need to see. So as you were touching on, like our warm up is SFMA, it is you know, mainly like it does have those underlying principles if you step back and, and you explain to someone and say, Look, you are seeing Multi-segmental flexion here and extension rotation. I remember was one of the first things you said to me. You said, "Watch the warm-up. It is SFMA. It is this. It is that." And then you were. I remember you bring me through. You said, "Look, there. You're getting, you're getting multi-segmental um, rotation with this. You're getting. So we're getting a global picture. And then if something needs to be broken down, it can be. But w- even within those three or four different types of warm-ups, that's always sort of you're always making sure that we're we're getting that global sort of feedback, which is very good. Jordan, what's your thought on that?
2: Yeah, uh, you just made me think of something, and I remember. uh you was Stu saying it, and probably not the only one saying it, but with regards to the warm-up and the fact that it has this consistency, um, which can, is probably interesting for athletes when they are not with their coaches. So when they're at a meet and yeah. they're away, um, they have this thing that they can do on autopilot, but that they can do potentially very well, and it kind of probably brings them back. And I'm sure everyone's individual on that side as well, but um, having something that's consistent, even though you are maybe away from home, you don't know the track as well, and you're under that stress of competition, uh, and then you go through your warm-up, almost puts you in the zone, right? So I think, uh, as we were alluding to earlier, we have a lot of different personalities, um, both uh, here at the clinic and at the gym, and I think that some of those may be a little bit more prone to start to, you know, oh, that's boring, you know, I, I want to do it and start to be sloppy, I think one thing that Jazz uh, really brought up and, and made me think while I was here and I've been trying to apply a lot more sense is uh, looking at yourself from the outside and as Jazz was saying, like, are you looking bored? Are you are you not focused? Are you actually into flow and into, yeah, exactly, are you crossing your arms? Um, I've ever crossed your arms.
0: So, <laughs> we'll arms. we'll talk about that in a few uh-huh. seconds for Fox, the listeners.
1: Fox
2: got kicked out of the because he crossed his arm. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Call out. Uh, so I, I, th- I think that, uh, as, as you said, if, if we are into it and we are into that kind of flow state, we're really stuck into it and, and observing attentively, then we can also see these small details that maybe are showing us that the person's not there for a certain reason. Maybe that's not how they tend to be. Uh, or maybe it is the week of a meet, and I have a few people in mind, that the week prior to that competition, would get sloppy or we get really unfocused. They wouldn't be the same person yeah. because of that arousal. That it just changes them. So um, I think that's when we can intervene as coaches or as therapists and say, and, and you know, be be able to either see if something's wrong or maybe the person's just not there, and kind of bring them back. Um, so those would be my my two cents.
0: On yeah, that. It, it's funny because uh, you you brought a top process up in my head there. I remember hearing Patrick Ward talk about RPE, like you know, getting subjective RPE, and the question was posed to Patrick is like, oh well, what if you get guys who like don't even look at it, like they're just always writing down, oh I'm a five out of ten or I'm a seven out of ten. Patrick actually came back with a good rebuttal and said because when that 5 out of 10 guy actually puts down a 2, he's like, oh, like, that, that's an issue. So, like, even if you do have an athlete who kind of, even if you do, so my point is even if you do have an athlete who always kind of just saunters through the warm-up, but, like, is even, is even more, like, like they're even a little bit more off than they usually are, or even if it's just, it's just so, like, you you'll start to get a usual picture of this person's personality through certain parts of their training, you know? So, like, you're still going to get some valid feedback from it, no matter what.
2: You were cutting
3: up a little bit. Do you
0: want to repeat that? So, I was – sorry. So, I was just saying that – I don't know where I cut out, but saying about Patrick Ward and and RPEs, like, that, you know, you'll get some athletes when they fill in their RPE, like, their rate of perceived exertion, like, the subjective questionnaire or a POMS, for instance, a perceived perceived onset of mood status or whatever that – yeah. Uh, that some guys, like, don't even look at it and they just, like, write the same score every time. And other people, like, will really, like, detail it. And then Patrick, someone said to Patrick, so, like, it's a bit worthless. And Patrick's like, no, because if, if you get a guy who says he's a five all the time, and then one day he actually is a two, he's like, you're getting some feedback off that. So, similar to an athlete then, who you might say, all oh, kind of saunters through the warmth every day, even if they're, like, even more, sort of, bored or laid back or, like, not as attuned, you're like, you're still getting something from that. So, because uh, you know, like, again you're, as you as use as we touched on ear you're 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 with these athletes so much that you have a pretty good idea of what they are like from more of a, a psychological stuff because you have this data bank built up of what they're like psychologically and physiologically and then also from a mechanical standpoint. So like even if someone even if you do have an athlete who's like really tuned into the warmth all the time versus someone who kind of saunders through, it, you're still gonna see a variation in those on, on a on a broader scale. So similar with Patrick and the RPEs. So, so like somebody was challenging Patrick. Yeah, I, I mean, go ahead. Yeah.
1: yeah, just, just even, just I mean, I admit it, might get, it might be a tangent, but you just made me think of something. Because um, we were talking about RPE uh, just this week. Uh, and I remember, and I won't mention the athlete's name, but it was with Canada basketball, uh, the senior men's team. And we do RPE after each practice. Yeah. And this particular athlete, who's a very good basketball player, uh, his response to me would be, every time you ask me, I'm going to say the same thing. It was a six every time. Don't even need to ask me; it's going to give it these six. And so he could have, you know, good practice or really bad practice; he could have got hurt. So it was going to be six. And what that uh, reminds me of is, I mean, obviously what Patrick said has a lot of truth to it. But then, do we need to start to ask the same question, but you know, frame it differently mm-hmm. for these people to understand? And so what that led to is, so we have this RPE skill, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Right? It's the just point to your number. So maybe that was what the, instead of verbally saying it, just point. Well, that doesn't work. Well, then we created a scale that went from green, like bright green being a one, to dark red being a 10. And there's all the colors in between. So green, yellow, red, yeah. right? Maybe you're a visual guy. What if I gave you this scale and you just point to it? Uh, and then that adventure led to, well, what's the difference between, if I said you're a one versus a 10, that's very easy to discern the difference between those two a 2 and a 3, what about an 8 and a 9, or a 7 and an 8, like what, what's the difference there? And so then we started looking at, you know, Fibonacci sequences, and looking at, you know, math, so a 1 and a 2, yeah sure, but you know, a 3 and a 5, it's a pretty big difference, 5 and an 8, 8 and 13, these are big differences, right, so all that like little kind of, you know, just messing around with RPE stuff, what well, that made me realize is that we might just need to reframe the question, and so... Please again keep that in mind as well. Don't just get into the same. Hey, you know, this is what we. Are. I see you do this. I'm always going to ask you this question. Uh, don't get lazy. Don't get that confirmation bias that way. Always yeah. think of ways to, yeah. so I guess reframe something and approach it a little bit differently. You ultimately you're going to get the same uh, information that you
0: need. To that's get. a that's a really thing
1: to think about.
0: Yeah, that's a really excellent point. Because I was reading. Uh, you, I was reading some Tony Robbins books over the last few months as well. Just they were there and just started reading them, but. Uh, one thing I did take away from one of his books was that you know to to have a better quality of life you need to ask better questions, and that was one thing that that kind of popped yeah. out. Yeah, if you if you want to you know add more quality and have a better life and and attain more knowledge, which can then potentially be more power if you act upon it, you got to be able to ask better questions. And it's funny because another person who I speak to on a regular basis is James Smith, the thinker. So obviously a lot of people on this might know who James is, but James is always on about like asking better questions, better questions. So, yeah, uh, it's definitely it's, again, it's, you know, I haven't spoken to you personally in a while, Jazz, but yet you've come to the sort of same area, but, you know, reframe that question. You might get, the, you know, a more uh, valuable feedback from it. So, Jordan, any thoughts on that yourself?
2: No, uh, I agree with you, man. Uh, I like the idea of the sequence. Again, it reminds me of, uh, of Scrum. Uh, you use it in the, in the Scrum method, which is mainly for, like, software development, but right? I think from... Uh, uh, to to prioritize things, and, I, and actually, when you mentioned that the other day, I thought about it. It's good that you reminded me. Uh, trying to, uh, definitely try to apply that a little bit more, because um, it's true, and it's the same when I ask people, you know, and that's why I don't do it actually. But when we ask people about their pain from zero to ten, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what it brings us. Down. And sometimes I think it's more frustrating for some people than anything else. Yeah, so I can definitely yeah. see how an athlete coming out of a, his training session, RP would be a, a thing that would be hard to quantify and maybe just a hassle. So on that zero to ten thing,
1: uh, you know. Most people say oh, ten is ex- like extreme pain, and, and one is nothing. Kevin Tyler is probably the first person I've ever seen flip it, where he wants like eights, nines, and tens because he wants a bigger number to be associated with I feel good. Not that I like a one feeling good. Right? Right. I thought like when I saw him do that, I'm like, man, these coaches got it figured out. Right? And again, for anyone from a clinical standpoint listening, if you're if you're bound by whatever your, your college or your school is to do this zero to ten thing when the patient comes in explain your pain just flip it just flip it you, you might be surprised with the responses you get
0: kevin tyler is such a sneaky genius like he lets on that he's that he's that he's an idiot but he's a genius <laughs> he just like saunders along doesn't say much to anyone just stays in the background but you're like that guy knows something Uh, so just I suppose you you've to go soon enough, Jazz and, and Jordan. Um, in terms of just with Altus, since my since me since the last time I was there, and since Jordan was there in, in April, any big changes or is there anything on the horizon? I know the foundation course came out. Um, um, obviously I'll link that up in the show notes for anyone who's listening. But is there anything? I is it is is it a little bit quieter this time of year than than when at other times of year because the athletes are sort of away at World Championships and stews on around or. But is there anything new popping up or what's on the horizon there?
1: Um, a little bit quieter for sure. Um, our days are actually pretty similar to what they would be through the year, just less athletes are coming yeah. through here right now. Um, a lot of them are over, uh, obviously, in the UK um, competing, uh, or there's still some um, Diamond Leagues that are going to be going on. We have a few of the winter athletes who are here who we'll probably just be wrapping up training this week and over the next few days, so it's kind of interesting. The big thing for Altus right now is obviously that foundation course, um, continuing to kind of um, progress that forward. And I, I think it's a really, really good course um, for anyone, whether you're a clinician, a strength coach, uh, and of course if you're a track coach, just to get that information into kind of our, our fundamental philosophy at Altus here. Um, in addition to that, our 360 Let's not forget about that for for people. Um, there's a slow drip of things that we we're adding on there. Um, the the thing I think that I one that I'm trying to watch now was Sophia Nymphus when she was here for B10. Like that was a really good presentation. Rogan. i think you can you know, attest to that. Yeah, if you've yeah. seen that one. But um, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff. So just continue to kind of follow us on on social media and um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at.
0: All right, guys, this is a pretty pretty, uh, good hour of a chat. Just uh, for individually yourselves, so Jazz, any order, where can the listeners get in touch with you? Like, have you got a Twitter feed or a Facebook or a website, or where can where can the listeners find out more about you guys and reach out if they wanted to, to, to continue any conversations with you or ask you guys any questions?
1: Yeah, um, so just a caveat. Uh, if you reach out to me, I'm going to reach out to you. It works both ways. Uh, always interested in learning what other people have to say so it's more of a the beneficial thing it's not just a one-way street and i always appreciate questions and i yeah, always appreciate good conversation but for me facebook um just jasmine Deva, and then on twitter if you want at JR Sport perform you can follow my instagram page although there's a whole lot going on there but i'll try to post more things there but just yeah just reach out to me on any of those things you can send me a message you can whatever, like, if you need to call, that's fine. I'm always here to to help. I like to engage. And I think that's the thing that for those of you who know me, I love these conversations. I love these chats. Uh, and if there's anything I can ever do to help someone, just, yeah, without a doubt, there's no secrets with me. I'll, I'll give you, you know, my thoughts and my processes and, and hopefully you can take it and run with it and tell me I was wrong or tell me I'm right or whatever it may be. Maybe it morphs into something else, but um, yeah, generally, generally love just having great conversations with people from from different areas.
3: Just so
0: just reach out just, just before uh, Jordan, just before you give uh, your details, I just want to include you on this as well. So for the listeners, this is one of my highlights of my internship. Jordan, you were there. I don't know if you remember, and I'm very sure Mike was was with us. But I remember sitting at a table, and Jazz was there, and Jazz like just wanted to make sure. Like, he was telling us, like, he wanted to make sure we got everything possible out of the internship that we wanted. And I'll never forget these words that Jazz said. He says, guys, I'll give you the shirt off my back. I just want you guys to have a great experience here. And I remember at that moment, I was just like, I absolutely love this guy. This guy's a hero. So I'll always remember that and appreciate those words. So thanks for that, Jazz
1: except you know, I'm not going to no longer give you my shirt off my back you've disappointed me with your lack of ability to find a paper that was just a simple google search okay man.
0: <laughs> I just I didn't even bother I just I knew someone would find it I actually I, I, when I was typing I said either Martinez or, or Jazz There's will no say discipline there yeah yeah anyway you just you just sci hub that shit and then found it you'd be happy today though that there was a paper and I was like I was just about I was like no 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 Jazz was in my head I was like I'm going to sci-hub this first I was like I actually found it it was great
2: <laughs> I actually remember that discussion too. I remember these words as well, and you uh, we can definitely attest to that. Uh, Jeff's been a huge, uh, a huge influence, a very positive one. Um, and again, I mean, that's, that's why I'm here uh, now again. Um, as for myself, uh, I'm fairly active, I guess, on Facebook, Jordan Khrushchev with an I. Um, I have a Twitter, which I don't use much, Instagram, which I use sometimes. I'm trying to pull out a little bit more stuff, uh, a little bit more information out there. So hopefully I'll be a little bit more active. But if anyone wants to, uh, to reach out there, if not, Jordan, I O R D A N at core com, If someone wants to send me an email and, uh, again, sit here. Uh, I love these discussions. Um, even better when we can, uh, do a hike at the same time. But, uh, I, love, uh, <laughs> I was I love just having these, uh, was... talks and, uh, yeah. and then learning from people and having people call me out. Um, I don't, I don't get that enough sometimes, so uh, um, I really appreciate that, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time today,
0: man. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, did so you stop to use it? It was you guys who initiated it, and I was like absolutely to be on the phone with two of my favorite humans is is an absolute pleasure, so I really do appreciate it. so uh, uh, Jordan uh, alluded to some hiking there for the listeners, so probably some of my best memories too from Arizona were some of our Sunday morning hikes, where we went up Camelback, and we did some other treks, and we had some great conversations about it, all things life, so uh, they were great highlights as well. So listen to you guys. Thanks, and you're an absolute 2 are legends. I really appreciate this conversation. And obviously, just stay on while I wrap this up. So it was funny. We we're just in a phone call, and I said to the two guys, "We do a podcast, and jazz." Like, look at this guy. Oh, he's just looking just always wants to do it for the social media, but I'm just like, we're benefiting the world. We're we're changing the world with all this information. So. Uh, I'll have everything in the show notes. I'll, you know, uh, Jazz's con- contact information, Jordan, Sue, and guys. For any of you who are interested uh, at all, and that that Jazz or Jordan or myself for talking about not so much me. I just ramble and talk shite. Two guys were actually giving valid information there, but definitely contact them if you want. Uh, look into Altus and their ACP program. Look into Jordan and Core Excellence, uh, particularly if you're around that area up in Canada. So, for now, guys, we're going to wrap it up. We just want to thank Jazz and Jordan again. Any final thoughts there, lads?
1: That's pretty much touched on it.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks
0: for, uh, for bringing us into the podcast. All right, no problem. All right, guys, they're listening, share around on the social media and all that stuff, and subscribe and everything that everyone asked for. Uh, and for now, until next time, take care, guys, be well, and stay strong. <laughs>